Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Have you ever wondered why we do the things we do and feel what we feel? Today we're going to explore what Mary, Mary, and Salome must have been thinking and feeling on that very first Easter morning. But before we do that, let's think about these questions for a bit. Why do you do the things you do and feel what you feel? For example, uh, every time I eat a burger or a pizza, I always crave pop. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Right? Or, or every time I watch a movie. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Uh, and every time I watch a movie, I just want to stuff my face with buttery popcorn. <laughs> Why is that? Uh, or every time I watch Star Wars, at the end of it, I just want to grab a lightsaber and have this epic lightsaber battle. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Or how about uh, when you drive close to Jasper or, or getting into Canmore and you just see the, the mountains? Do you ever feel this sense of majesty or, or wonder or awe? Or how about when you're nervous or scared? I don't know about you, but in those moments, I just want to hold on to, to someone or have someone hold on to me. Or how about when you go to a new place, somewhere you're unfamiliar with, and, and you're waiting for someone, and you're just kind of waiting and waiting and waiting, and, and then finally the person that you were waiting for shows up. You ever get this feeling of relief? Like, <sighs> Finally. And why is it that when we hear of yet another school shooting, there's a deep sense of injustice and hopelessness that just swirls around inside? And how can sex be an act of love for some and a substitute of love for others? How can it be unifying for one and hurtful for another? And how can success feel so elusive? Maybe at one point in your life you wanted that luxury car. You, you envied those who, who flew first class and, and could buy whatever they wanted. And, 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 and now that you might be there, if you're there, why doesn't it feel the way you hoped it would? Why does success feel so elusive? Will Smith, you know, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, in West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground is where I spent most of my days. You know that guy, Will Smith? Uh, he wrote an autobiography and he talked about the elusiveness of success. Listen to what he said. My mind drifted to my I Am Legend phone call with jail. The film had broken global box office records, but still I was dissatisfied. The subtle sickness was becoming a whole lot less subtle. I asked myself, how much did I Am Legend need to make for me to be happy? How much would have been enough? How many more consecutive number one movies do I need? How much money would it take for me to feel safe and secure? How many Grammys or Academy Awards do I need to feel loved and approved of? How much healthier do my kids need to be? How many more times does Jada need to say, I love you? When will enough be enough? The problem is the more you get, the more you want. 
It's like drinking salt water to quench your thirst. We develop a tolerance that makes us need more just to get the same high. And then he says this. I started to recognize the game, the trick, the insanity, the carrot on the stick. I never liked vampire movies, but I suddenly understood their mythology. They are a metaphor for insatiable human hunger, unquenchable thirst, and chronic dissatisfaction. The attempt to fill a spiritual hole with external things. If unparalleled winning and achieving everything I've ever dreamed of does not secure perfect happiness and ultimate bliss, then what does? Why do we do the things we do? Why do we allow our cravings to drive our behavior or our appetites to drive our actions? It's because our souls are seeking, searching, and longing to wake up. It's like how that U2 song went. I love how it described the human journey, that common human journey that we're all on. I have climbed the highest mountains. I have run through the fields only to be with you. Only to be with you. I have run. I have crawled. I have scaled these city walls. These city walls. Only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know that song? <laughs> but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, almost 2,000 years ago, I wonder if Mary, Mary, and Salome were singing a similar sort of song when they were walking to the tomb on that Easter morning. I have followed Jesus Christ, I have seen him raise the dead only to be with you, only to be with you. So let's go to his tomb, my heart's breaking over again. Over again, only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Will I find? at his tomb, what I'm looking for. Let's read the story in Mark chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? 
Looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he told them. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they put him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. All throughout Jesus' ministry, both men and women followed him. And we see here in this passage who some of these women were. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. The, in Galilee, these women followed him and took care of him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. Now what's interesting to note is that other than Joseph of Arimathea, all the other men have seemed to have disappeared. They're not in the picture anymore. Only Mary, Mary, and Salome saw it all happen. Only they saw Jesus die, then get buried, then go to the tomb and see that it was empty. But in that day, the testimony of woman was not valid in court. So if all this is made up, like if this is just all a fictional story to try to convince people that Jesus isn't just a man, but that he is the son of God, and that he died and was raised from the dead, then the authors would have written that it was men who saw Jesus die, get buried, and was and raised. They would have written it was men who saw it because only a man's testimony was valid in court. So the reason we read what we read is because what happened actually happened. The reason we read that it was Mary, Mary, and Salome that saw Jesus first and went to that empty tomb and testified not only to the fellow disciples but to all of us for centuries on after that happened is because what happened actually happened. Jesus actually rose from the dead. Now imagine what Mary, Mary, and Salome must have been feeling in between Friday and Sunday. I, w- I wonder if they were scared. Or maybe they were confused and, and discouraged. Just last week, people were sh- proclaiming Hosanna. People were declaring that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Momentum was building for this cause that they were a part of. Now he's dead. And maybe they were feeling hopeless With Jesus, this was the first time ever they were treated as equals to men. They were equipped. They were empowered. They weren't servants here with the male men being disciples there. They were co-disciples with the men. Having equal part and responsibility that the men had. Now that Jesus was dead... Were things going to go back to the way they were before? I wonder if they felt foolish to follow after someone who they thought was the Messiah but is now dead. Maybe they're feeling embarrassed. Embarrassed that they had given their life 
to something that just now seemed over. Maybe they were bewildered, rejected. Maybe they were frustrated. Maybe they were angry. Angry at all the male disciples. Hey, you guys said that you would go to the ends of the earth with Jesus. And where are you now? How are we the only ones here? Everything was so rushed on Friday. All I wanted to do, all we want to do is give Jesus the proper burial that he deserves. We want to honor him. We want to anoint him with spices. The least you could have done was roll away the stone from the tomb for us. But where are you now? So how, in the midst of all of that, did these three women find the courage to get up and go when all their hopes, their dreams, and everything got crucified when Jesus got crucified? Have you ever been there? Been so disappointed with what was going on, been, been so uncertain of what was next, not even sure that there was going to be a next. Well, there's a couple in our church family, Carson and Rebecca, who know exactly what that's like. And I want to invite you to watch their story. I have come to hate pregnancy tests. Every time they came back negative, I would just feel gutted. I would question whether we should keep trying or, or not. And then I would question, where is God? So we knew we wanted to have a family and that there would be challenges to having that. We didn't know it would be as complicated as it kind of came out to be. Um, but it did turn out to be a lot more complicated uh, in that way. So we were aware that there potentially were some challenges uh, with, with me and, and us getting pregnant. And when we were at one of those doctor appointments, the doctor confirmed that everything was okay with me and turned to Rebecca and effectively was like, has anybody looked at you? Have they checked out you at all? It definitely took the wind out of my sails when they asked me if anyone had looked at me because at that point I was totally good. Yeah, my relationship with God at the beginning of this whole journey and when it kind of started getting complicated was I started questioning whether I was hearing Him or not and whether I felt like my, our prayers were lining up with what He was wanting me to do. I have come to hate pregnancy tests. They always came back negative and every time they came back negative I would just feel gutted. I would just feel like I failed again, my body failed me, uh, these treatments are not working for us, and I would question whether we should keep trying or, or not, and then I would question where is God in, in the midst of these two to three minutes comforting me as I waited in the bathroom. So it had been about three years of us trying um, on our own and just with some other interventions, but then we kind of had to step into going into more invasive treatments. Baby announcements are hard. Yeah, baby announcements are hard, especially when they're close friends, family. The hardest announcement that we, we heard was from some of our closest friends and we were going on a multi-day camping trip with them. And right when we arrived, they told us that they were expecting a child. Typically, whenever people announce to us, um, 
I'm very good at putting a brave face on <laughs> and like being excited for them. Um, but I can usually have time to like go and then feel my feelings after we're gone. But we were going camping and we had no space for ourselves and I couldn't control it. And I just lost all control of emotion. <laughs> and it was like a huge, ugly reaction to some of the most important people that we have. So after I reacted like that, I definitely withdrew from that relationship. Um, whether it was out of self-protection or jealousy or whatever it was. Yeah, it went on for, uh, well, for a year, a year and a half. And we got together for a big family event after they had already had um, their son. When we got home, I just realized how much of my hurt was now affecting some of the most important relationships in my life. And I felt like we needed to change that and we and I needed to to talk to them and and apologize. I think God was pressing on my heart that his goodness and his good plan for our lives doesn't change whether other people announce they're pregnant or whether we're not pregnant or whatever the outcome is. In that time we really had to just let go of all of our plans and all we wanted to kind of have the outcome be um, and just fully rely on him at that time. So while we, were at, while we were at peace with where God had brought us to and, and in our fertility journey, um, we did, never got a red light to stop. We never felt like God said, you're supposed to stop. So we were continuing with IVF and we did our first round of IVF and it came back negative. Yeah, and so um, we had um, had a really close knit group praying for us um, as we were going through these IVF treatments and one of our really close friends uh, came back and was super angry on our behalf and uh, he had asked he was like how how are you okay and um, and I just had this like realization that God's goodness doesn't change whether um, it comes back positive or negative. My hope and my joy is found in the gospel, and that's unchanging. We went for our second IVF treatment and when we showed up uh, the embryologist told us that they had thawed one of our frozen embryos and it had died it didn't, it didn't survive the thawing process the embryologist they quickly thawed one more embryo and when we arrived the embryologists looked at us and said this one's a fighter and she is In our seven-year journey, our, our prayers really changed over that timeline. It felt like they went from being selfish to what we wanted, um, the outcome of a baby, but also now it went to God. Use our story as a testimony to encourage people in their own walks with God, with Him, in their faith and their hope, and so that they can see His goodness. Mary, Mary, and Salome could have stayed in their disappointment, uncertainty, and discouragement. 
But just like Carson and Rebecca, they chose to trust God even when they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't trust God after they knew what happened. Mary, Mary, and Salome didn't yet know that Jesus had been resurrected. They chose to trust God even when they didn't know what was going to happen. In the same way, Carson and Rebecca didn't know what was going to happen in their dream and desire to have a child, yet they chose to trust God even when they didn't know what was going to happen and even when things weren't going their way for years. But you know what? Not every story ends like Rebecca and Carson's, does it? Maybe you are in a relationship that feels irreparable. It might be a glimpse of hope at one point, but then it just seems like one step forward, ten steps back. You don't know what to do with that. Or maybe the loneliness, being all alone in your bed at night is unbearable because you're not used to that. Now there's no one that you're sharing a bed with and And you don't know, the nights are the most difficult part of the day. Or maybe you're, you seem to be going from one relationship to another. And the relationships never quite end the way, the way, that, you, the way that you were hoping them to. Or maybe at one point, time, one point in time you had a dream to, to get married and have a child. And, and now when you look at your age... You just, you don't know if you should still keep on hoping or if you should just give up. Maybe you're, you're recently retired and, and you just can't seem to get used to this, 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 this new season of life. Or maybe you've lost long-term employment or, or you can't seem to, to hold down a job or, or you're just trying to look for meaning in all though what seems like wrong places or you have more questions than you have answers. Whatever it is that might be swirling on inside of your heart, your soul and your mind, what if we chose trust? What if we chose to trust God even when we didn't know what was going to happen? On Easter morning, Mary, Mary, and Salome walked to that tomb even though they didn't know what was going to happen. Their faith was shaken. Their hope was running close to empty, yet they chose to get up and go to that tomb one step at a time. They didn't know what, was gonna, they, didn't know what they were going to find when they got there. They didn't know if the stone was going to be rolled away. They didn't know what they would feel if they saw Jesus' dead body. But instead of getting caught up in all the what-ifs, they just decided to go one step at a time. Get up, get dressed, grab the spices, and start walking. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. You feel paralyzed, immobilized, feel like your feet are stuck 
in what happened in the past. And what's going on right now or in the worry of what might come in the future and you don't know how you can even take another step. Everything is just swirling on around and you try to ignore it, you try to move on, you try to put on a brave face. But you all, you know, I mean, you're just faking it. And you have this weird inkling that other people can see right through you. So what if like Mary, Mary and Salome, you walked to that empty tomb? What do you think you'd find? Who do you think you'd meet? Because friends, the stone has been rolled away. The grave is empty. Jesus is alive. He is risen. He's risen indeed, right? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's do that again. Christ is risen. Yeah. You know, I've met so many people walking around their lives, going from one thing to another, and they're singing this endless song, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And they go from relationships to relationships. And when that doesn't, when that doesn't do it, they turn to food. And when that doesn't fill that craving inside of their heart, they turn to sex. And when that doesn't do it, they turn to work. And when that doesn't do it, they turn to substances. And, and when that doesn't turn, that doesn't do it, they just go. They just keep on going from one thing to another to another, all the while singing this endless song but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Friends, nothing and no one can fill that craving, that, that, that tomb inside of our heart because the tomb is empty. Christ is risen. He is not dead. He is alive. Jesus is who and what our souls are deeply longing for. And that's why we read, that's why Augustine said this, thou has made us for thyself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Everything else is a cheap substitute. Everything else is a counterfeit. So why, right? Why do so many of us try to fill our souls with something that doesn't actually fill this is the gospel and this is who Mary, Mary and Salome's hope was in and this is who Rebecca and Carson's hope was in. Do you remember what Rebecca said in that video? She said, my hope is in the gospel and that's unchanging. That's why we read in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, Jesus Christ, the son of God 
is the gospel because he loved us so much that he gave his life for us is the gospel. That he died on the cross and was raised from the dead is the gospel. That the stone has been rolled away and the tomb is empty is the gospel. That he took our place so that we could have life even though we deserve death because of our sin is the gospel. That we keep on trying to fill this empty tomb with cravings that ultimately don't satisfy and yet he still shows us grace and forgiveness in spite of that is the gospel that we can go from mourning into dancing, sorrow into celebration, death into life is the gospel. Friends, that knowing isn't enough. That knowing isn't enough. But that we need to accept his forgiveness and open our hearts to Jesus is the gospel. That we need to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead is the gospel. So, my question for you is what song are you singing? We're all singing a song. We're all singing some song. It's not the same song. So what song gives meaning to the thoughts in your mind, the actions that you do, and the emotions that you're feeling? This is your song. <laughs> no one else can sing this song for you. So when you leave today, what song are you going to be singing? What song gives meaning to what your soul is crying out from the inside for? Is it, I still haven't found what I'm looking for? Or I found at the tomb what I'm looking for? Is it, does he live? Or because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. I wanna invite you to reflect on what song may be stirring up inside of your soul as our team leads us in a moment of response. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.